It's great to be together this morning. We're coming towards the end of our series, Hope for a Culture in Crisis. This morning, uh, the title is God Works for Good. And it was great this morning just to hear Daniel's testimony, that story of him uh, encountering God in the worship and God doing something for him. And yet, uh, what this morning we're going to be unpacking is the challenge of as we look for God to break through and uh, to see more of the presence of God amongst us. Actually, we live in a world where that doesn't always happen. And so this morning is going to be really helpful for us. I believe God's going to speak to us this morning. And so we're going to read some verses and uh, they're going to come up on the screen behind me. And uh, it's from, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. This is what it says. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is a great passage. So on the screen behind you, uh, you see my grandfather's pocket watch. It now has been given to me, belongs to me. It was a retirement gift to my grandfather for long service at Bargoid Colliery in the Rumney Valley. It still works. And if you open the back, you see how it does work and how it's supposed to work. But it's all a bit baffling. There's a mainspring that keeps everything in tension and moving. But some of the cogs move in different directions. One moves this way, another moves that way. And yet despite that, the hands at the front move in the way they should move. It's amazing, but confusing. Ultimately, I'm just glad it works. And the person who best understands what's happening is the designer, the clockmaker. The three verses that we just read are similarly very complicated. Exploring the inner workings of what Paul says can leave us struggling to comprehend what's going on. Some things in life seem to be going in one direction and seem to be in line with what Paul's talking about, and then others in life seem to be going in the opposite direction. And this morning, we want to hear from the one who makes it all work out well. And my hope is that we have a fresh revelation of what Paul says here is true and that it stirs us to worship. The 11 verses at the end of Romans chapter 8 are the climax of the first half of this letter to the church in Rome. They underline the central theme of all that Paul has been saying. He's been talking about the good news about Jesus Christ. He's saying that it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, it's the power of God for the salvation of every one of us who will believe. 
You see, the only hope for a culture that's in crisis is Jesus Christ. We'd heard Jess refer to it in that prophetic word. There is no hope to sort things out ourselves. We need God to do it for us. Jesus is the answer. And yet to experience the fullness of all that Jesus has done for us on the cross seems to be difficult in this life. We've yet to experience all of that. But that day will come and it will be glorious. God will create, recreate this broken world and he will turn it back into, recreate it into the world it was always intended to be. And we will see him face to face. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. But for the time being, we face sufferings. We live in a world that's groaning and creaking under the tension that's been caused by humanity turning on the God who created it, the God who created us. We've all seen the storms in recent weeks. This is an image of Crickhowl in Wales. It's the river Usk bursting its banks, flooding, destroying property, threatening life. Someone in the church has, uh, has an oak tree, a hundred foot oak tree in their back garden. It fell over in the storms. It went over in the storms, lying across the back of four gardens. Two or three hundred year old oak tree, down in a moment, uprooted. Likewise, we all know that there are moments in life when we can be overwhelmed, almost flooded by circumstances or people that we are relying on suddenly they're no longer there uprooted and gone today everything may seem fine but we don't know what tomorrow holds these well-known verses are written to be an anchor for us in the storms of life we long for all that God promises and ultimately lies ahead of us but for now, we live with a lesser reality. Sickness, pain, broken relationships, failing bodies, disappointment, grief. Paul wants to remind us of what we know. I don't know about you, but there are things, that, there are always things I think I know. Last weekend in the storms, uh, I, uh, one of my front lights had gone. And Annie said, go to Halford. She said, I want you to go to Halfords and I want you to get them to do it for you. I said, don't worry, I know what to do. I know what to do. I now have, uh, as I drive along now, the light is working, but I now have a rattling in my car. The rattling is the little piece that was left over when I tried to put it together and I broke it. I spent about 45 minutes in the t pouring rain, the driving rain and the storm, trying to put the light thing back on together. I've got I'd cuts on the back of my hand, and basically I broke it. It's just about holding together. I got home and Annie was understandably really cross. She said, I told you not to do that. See, the thing is, I think I know things. I knew how to do it, but I didn't really. And we can be a little lit like that with the things of God. We, there are things we think, oh yeah, I know that. But do we really know them? 
You see, in the preceding verses, Paul says that we know the whole of creation has been groaning. John talked about that last week. And then Paul says, goes on to say, there are some things that we don't know. We don't know how we ought to pray. And so the Holy Spirit, God helps us when we don't know how to pray. There are some things we know. There are some things that we don't know. But Paul says, you really must know this. You really must know this. He says categorically there is something we should know. All things work together for good. For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We must know this. This is rich biblical truth. But it needs unpacking. If we're to appreciate the wonder and the comfort of all that God wants to say to us this morning. We know that all things work together. Who's doing the working? Is it us? Are we trying harder? Is it about the circumstances or when it all works out in the end? Is it fate? No. God. God is doing the working. Things don't work out by themselves. If I leave the kitchen like a bomb site and when I come back, it's perfectly neat and tidy and clean, I don't go, wow, that's amazing. I'm lucky, aren't I? It all turned out right in the end. No. Annie has come home. She's found the mess that I've made. And she has tidied it up. She has been actively at work making it right. And similarly, behind the scenes of our lives, God is always working. He is always working in your life. God made everything. He sustains everything by his power, we're told. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It is as God that's at work in the world and in our lives. He is always active. He is not passive. Paul says in Philippians verse uh, 6 of chapter 1. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's at work in you. Working out his good purpose. In Philippians 2, he goes on to say, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. John Stott says, God is ceaselessly, energetically, and purposefully active on our behalf. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Who's God working for? Everyone? No. He's working for us, Christians, those who've put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, everything doesn't necessarily work for good. That isn't a promise that's for you. But if you put your trust in Jesus, it's a promise that it'll be true for you for this life and for eternity. You see, sometimes in life people think that everything's working out okay and appearances can be deceptive. But it's not always like that. Sometimes as Christians we can look out and go, well, it seems to be working out for lots of people in the world. And that was the issue that the psalmist has in Psalm 73. This is what he says. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. And their bodies are well fed. 
They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Don't fall for the lie that it's going to be all right in the end. Paul is saying it just isn't the case. And as, you, as we've looked through the letter to the Romans, it's been really clear that when, if we don't come to know God through Jesus Christ, he is the only way to the Father. The Bible says that we are under the wrath of God. But God works for the benefit of those who love him. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You see, God is always working for our good because he is completely good. Jesus said, there is only one who is truly good, and that's God. If this promise is conditional on us loving him, if his promise is conditional on us doing something, are we earning his favor? Is this sort of like a quid pro quo, well, I'll do this for you, you do that for me? No, that's not the case. Paul explains this love is the result of us being called according to his purpose. Our love for him is, his, is a sign of his prior love for us. We only love God because he first loved us. What does Paul mean by all things? He's just been talking about groanings and sufferings that we face in this world. And there are some commentators, people like John Calvin in centuries gone by, who've said that's the only thing that Paul is referring to here. Sufferings and disappointments. Yet all things must mean all things, both good and bad. Blessings and disappointments. Joys and sufferings. Things going well and troubles. Health and sickness. Encouragement and opposition. Happiness and pain. Success and failure. Like cogs in a watch that seem to be moving in opposite directions. They're working for our good, Paul says. And just like everyone else in the world, Christians, followers of Jesus, experience both. If you're a follower of Jesus in this world, you will experience both. You'll experience heartache and joy, pain and healing. We are never promised a life that avoids bad things. But we are encouraged to pray for God to break through like we were doing this morning. All things are not good. We're not to rejoice in illness and sufferings like a, going around with a silly smile on our face, oh, I'm in pain, oh, that's good. No, it's not. Pain hurts. Jesus didn't do that. When he stood at the graveside of his friend Lazarus and the, his sisters, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are weeping and crying and the crowd around are gathered, they're weeping as well because their loved one, their friend has gone, has died. Jesus didn't, with a big smile on his face, say, think, 
come on, be happy. It's going to be okay. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved. And the, the word he uses, it was sort of like a, it was like a, a war horse pouring, uh, uh, pouring its feet, race ready to go into battle, snorting, angry. There's a sense that Jesus was angry at the effect of sin that had caused his friend Lazarus to die. And then we read that Jesus wept. Jesus, I want you to know this, God hates sin. He hates the results of sin. Jesus never, ever, when someone was suffering, he never went to them and smiled and said, don't worry, it's all working for your good. Never said anything like that. Because Jesus knows that sickness of itself is not good. That sort of thinking leads us to embrace suffering in a way that the Bible never does. It's the equivalent, spiritual equivalent of self-harming. Illness, death, disappointment, failure, broken relationships, persecution and suffering aren't good. We believe that God uses success and encouragement to work for our good. But really, can he do that with those tough things as well? Yes. How? Well, the first thing is this. He uses the rubbish because it makes us look to God. When everything's not well, it's easy to take God for granted. It's easy to become casual about God, to cut corners to become overconfident and proud and somehow think that we're in charge of our own lives. We're the masters of our own de destiny. We forget the good things that God has done for us and somehow we think that it's down to us and our cleverness and our ability. What a clever boy I am. The Bible says that God uses circumstances like this to cause us to turn us to look back to God. Someone once said this to me. Pain can be good because it shows and highlights a hidden problem. A problem that we wouldn't know was there otherwise. Criticism can help us see what we've not seen before in ourselves. Failure can help us learn better practice. You see, we won't change if we don't realize there's an issue. I remember in a season where I received some criticism and I remember saying at the time, actually, some things that were said uh, were harmful, were hurtful. But the worst thing about it was the bits that were true. Because I suddenly realized it, they shook me out of my smug complacency. I saw the ugliness deep down in my own heart. And I turned, caused me to turn to God and cry out for God that I hadn't been in a way that I hadn't been in days before. We need God's help if we're going to go in the grace and the knowledge of God. Being humble is for our good. You see, sometimes God withholds things from us because he knows what's best. We had a word of knowledge a few Sundays ago, Lawrence brought a word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge was this. Some of you 
and not being able to sleep, you, you're struggling to sleep. But God wants you to know that he's at work in your life and he's causing you to wake up about a situation and he's stirring you because he wants you to pray. He, God was using the circumstance to provoke people to pray. Five people responded that morning that I know of. People deeply touched that God would speak to them. God was at work. God was using a circumstance, a difficult situation at work that was causing people anxiety, unable to sleep. And God said, now I'm going to use this for God. I want you to wake up and I want you to pray. I want you to pray about the work situation. And people were saying, I, I, I'd been in this situation, it was tough, but I hadn't been praying. God stirred me to pray. Tough situations can stop us in our tracks and make us look to God. It also tests what we really believe. We know. Do we? Do we really know that? Sometimes we talk a great game, don't we? God wants us to grow in our faith. And so when things go wrong, do we crump, uh, uh, grumble and complain about God to others, but never go to him? God hates that. In the Old Testament, we read about how God's people, that's what they used to do. They'd grumble and complain about God to other people. They'd moan to Moses about God, but they never went to God. God wants us to be a people. God doesn't mind us coming to him and being honest with him. Because when we come and we're honest and we talk to him, that's a statement of faith. We're coming to the God who we know can help us. But we don't understand what's going on, like the, the cogs in the clock that are going around the room. We don't understand, God. Why are you doing that? God's not bothered by that. God loves it when we come with our honesty because he can work on that. It really tests what we believe. You see, God wants us to be a people of genuine character. You see, and if God appears unresponsive to our cries, maybe it's like that story where Jesus is asleep in the boat. And Jesus says to his disciples, come on, let's get into the boat. It's late at night, there's a storm coming. Come on, get into the boat. We're going to the other side. They get into the boat. They start to cross the lake. Jesus falls asleep. We don't know how long he's asleep. The disciples are rowing across the lake. The storm kicks off. Really, the wind's starting to blow. The waves are coming over the side. Jesus is still asleep. And the disciples, after a while, start to panic. And they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus wakes up and goes to the storm. Be peaceful. Calm. The storm stops in a moment. And Jesus turns and says to the disciples, Oh, you of little faith. Sometimes it's like that in life. God's, we know he's taking us to the other side. He's with us. He loves us. We know our destiny is secure. But the, but the, the, the boat we're in is, the, the waves are crashing over the side. The storms of life seem to be incessant and Jesus seems to be asleep. He seems to be unresponsive to our prayers. And sometimes it seems to go on for a long time. Who are we to decide how long Jesus sleeps in the boat before he wakes up? He wants us to trust him. He's in the boat with us and he said we will get to the other side. For some of us, we need to know, you need to know he is in the boat with you. All that's going on at the moment in your life, he is with you, he has not abandoned you. It may seem, he may seem silent. 
He may seem unresponsive, but God is at work in the background. Sometimes God uses, uh, turns our sin for good. Well, he does turn our sin for good. He will turn our sin for good. When we make mistakes and get it wrong, God can turn it for good. We still have to face the consequences of our actions, but God can work good into our lives as a result of it. It doesn't mean that doesn't give us an excuse for doing things, but God in his great mercy works all things for good. Sometimes, you see, God has to let us learn things for ourselves. We won't be told. We think we know. And we don't. And he disciplines us for our good because he loves us, we're told in Hebrews 12. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are those God foreknew. He foreknew us. God must know everything about us because he exists outside space and time. So what's Paul saying? The word that Paul uses conveys something about a relationship. Paul is is not saying that God knew something about us, knew facts about us, but rather that God knew us. He loved and cared for us. He loves and cares for you. He's reminding us this morning that whatever we have experienced, he has cared for us from the very beginning and he will care for us to the very end. He will care for you. He is caring for you. Paul is encouraging us to focus on what we know rather than on what we see in our circumstances. We are those God predestined, decided on beforehand. God has fixed a destiny for us as believers. It is certain. One day we will be like him. We are being conformed to his image. A better word from the Greek would be transformed. He is working on us day by day through the circumstances of life, changing us to be more like Jesus. But we will be glorified. In fact, the verse says that we're going to look at in a moment. The word says we have been glorified. It's already done. Our destiny is secure. The place God's taking us is already decided. He's going to take us to be with him forever and ever. See, some argue that the destiny that God has for us has been prepared for us because he knows in advance that we're going to respond to the gospel. I want to tell you, Paul isn't saying that. God is not responding to our faith. Before we ever made a decision for God, he made a decision for us. He made a decision for you. He foreknew you. He loves you. He cares for you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, he is calling out to you to respond. We have been conformed into the likeness of his son. Glorified, it says. It's a past Tense word. It's not a future. Not we will be glorified. We have been glorified. We have been brought into the family of God. We have brothers and sisters. We have a great older brother, Jesus Christ. We are now children of God. We've been adopted into his family and all of us have equal status, whatever our background, social status, our ethnicity, our gender. We stand before him family. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God calls us through us hearing the gospel. It's what God used to awaken our faith, faith in our hearts. God does something amazing in us when we respond to the gospel. We're told this, he, God, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jeremy explained it in his word earlier. We're washed clean. God washes the rubbish away. He does it in a moment. We, our sins were like scarlet. Now they're white as snow. What an amazing thing that God has done. If we are justified by faith, if we're made right with God, then we are those who have been glorified. Paul has been saying in Romans that we've fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, each one of us fell short of the glory of God. But God's promise in the gospel was that he was going to restore what was lost. There was a hope of glory for us. And that hope of glory is found only in relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let me urge you to do it this morning. Because God has fixed a destiny for you that is perfect. He wants you to come to Christ. He wants you to know him. John Stott says that God is working for our ultimate well-being. Our ultimate well-being. Our ultimate good. So sometimes... The cogs of the wheel seem to be going in the wrong direction. God's working out our ultimate good. Look at the front face of the clock. Don't look at the inner workings. Lift your eyes from the circumstances to look to what God says. The things that you know are true, that he declares are true. Tim Keller says this, the best is yet to come. It's a picture of a tapestry. All too often in life, all we see is the, the backside of the tapestry and it looks a mess. It looks like different colored spaghetti and it, it's chaotic and we can't follow the threads. And we follow lines of things and we think that doesn't make sense. Why does that happen? One day, one day is coming that the, it will be turned over and we will see it. And we will see the purposes of God have been perfectly worked out. And those things that that look so awful, we will see the thread of them being worked into something beautiful. God is working out all things for our good. Paul is reminding us that this world is not our home. We are just passing through to a better place. We don't get to experience all the promises of God being fulfilled in this life. But we are believing for more than we're seeing at the moment. And so we are those who live with attention of circumstances being tough, but we look to God, God, break through. We cry out to you, work out your good purposes. Would you break through in healing? Would you do this? Turn my situation around. There will be a day when we will see everything put right. There'll be no more crying or pain. We overfocus on this life too often because we don't really believe that what Paul says is true. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, we don't really believe it. We believe that this life is all that we should hold on to. Phil Moore says this, 
Now we know history revolves around his son. Now we know. Do you know it? History revolves around Jesus Christ. He's the turning point of this sin-sick world. Now we know history revolves around his son. We trust him to work things out for good even in the midst of pain. If God's plan involved his own beloved son being tortured, crucified and killed, and if he was able to turn even that around for good, then we can trust him to do the same in our own lives. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We're going to respond to God. We're going to ask the band to come up. And what we're going to do, we're going to listen to a song. It's a moment of reflection over what you've heard. Some of you are battling with circumstances. You need to know that God is working out things for your good, your ultimate good. He is with you. Some of you are going through good times at the moment. That should provoke us to worship and thank him that he is at work and working out his good purposes. And know that actually, if it all fell apart tomorrow, he's still working out his good purposes. And for some of us, this is a moment to cry out to God, God, save me. I hear the call of the gospel. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to do it today. I want to know that you will work all things together for good.